The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. I'm a little bit high right now because I've had just the most lovely past few days. I've been having an in-person board meeting with Bev and Lynette. Any of you who have uh, ever attended any of my events online, some of them in person, you know Bev and Lynette, and you know that I cannot do this work without them. And so to have them here with me in person has been such a joy because, of course, we love each other. The work is secondary, but it's just been a beautiful time, and they are listening in live. So everybody all together know, hi, Bev and Lynette. (laughs) I love it. They're actually downstairs. I'm upstairs. And I just wanted to let you all know that my personal mediumship plus class is available online now as an on-demand class. The feedback from the live course held about a week and a half ago, two weeks almost, was just so affirming and validating that this is what people need and want. And so many people are writing to me to tell me that they've made some wonderful connections with their loved ones across the veil. So you can find that on my website, Personal Mediumship Plus online course. So shifting gears to the task at hand. I am so excited about my guest today. Irene Weinberg interviewed me not too long ago for her wonderful podcast, Grief and Rebirth, Finding the Joy in Life. We will be talking about that, but before she and I got into her podcast, she told me her story, and hearing it, I said, well, Irene, I have to get you on my radio show, so this is uh, a joy for me to have her here so that all of you can hear her story of love, eternity, and the cosmic importance of everyday life. That's the subtitle of her book, They Serve Bagels in Heaven. And if that's not intriguing enough, the rest of her story will fill in the blanks there. Irene, welcome to the show. It's truly my pleasure, Suzanne. It's always wonderful to talk with you. Well, the time went so quickly when you and I were chatting on your podcast, and I'm talking a little fast already because I want to let you do most of the talking. So you had a spiritual awakening, awakening, and we will certainly get to that. But like so many of those who are listening right now, your whole life wasn't about spirituality and awakening, I'm sure. Tell us what your life was like until that pivotal time in your life that we'll discuss. 
Okay. Well, I was a typical, traditional Jewish girl. I had been brought up, you know, learning different things with my faith. I was married for the second time to an absolutely wonderful man. Um, We were married for about 18 years. And we did all the traditional things that we were taught to do um, for the religion and all. I had absolutely no consciousness and no awareness, really, that there was anything more than what we were doing and that any that we went on or anything. In fact, I had a sister-in-law who was very spiritual, and we used to laugh at her and say she was crazy. And mm-hmm. guess who the, the joke was on? After <laughs> I, have, I had this amazing thing happen to me, and now my sister-in-law and I are extremely close because she was one of the few people I could talk to about it when all of this happened. Well, how do you, how are you defining spiritual when you say that she, everybody thought she was crazy? What how are you differentiating oh, she spiritual that you from went on to the religious? other side? She, yeah, she believed you went on to the other side. She believed, you know, that there was more than the current life we were living. Um, she <laughs> was very holistic and we used to think she was crazy. Well, what is this baloney that she's into? This is ridiculous. And um we were not partic- we were not uh, we were very judgmental to be honest, and mm-hmm. we were not generally judgmental people, but we thought she had like a screw loose or something. And I know a lot of people listening can identify with that, either being <laughs> on the receiving or the giving end, either way. <laughs> right. And then, then when this unbelievable thing happened to me, I got to experience people thinking some people thought that I had a screw loose. And uh, I would tell people, you know what, I used to feel the same way, but this is now my truth. And this amazing thing happened to me. But we were very traditional, Suzanne. And uh, I was, uh, you know, I would put a stone on the grave, uh, which is the Jewish tradition. When we visit, I'd pray. But did anyone really hear me? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It was all what I had learned until wow. one day I had a real rude awakening. Well, why don't we jump right to that day? I know we. I want to talk about three profound messages that you've had before, during, and after this incident you're going to share. But let's just start with that incident, if that works for you. Okay, sure. Well, let me just say, um, let me start with the first message, because that happened before I had any awareness and before this awful car accident took place in my life, uh, where my husband died next to me, and I got these unbelievable messages which, again, I didn't believe in any of this. So one day I'm, I'm a, you know, middle, middle class, doing my thing, housewife. I'm washing dishes at my kitchen sink, and I'm minding my own business. My husband is watching. We're from the New York, New Jersey area, which everybody can probably tell from my I was going to say I never would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> any of you listening I, from around the world, if you want to know what New York, New Jersey accent sounds like, listen to Irene. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm washing I'm washing some dishes and my husband's watching a Jets game on a football game on TV and I suddenly get a very strong thought that is absolutely not my thought and it comes into my head and it says Saul has to go many lessons will be learned from his death and Saul being your husband S A U L S A U L Mm-hmm. And um, would you, would you repeat that message doing. again? Yep. Saul has to go. Many lessons will be learned from his death. 
That must have stopped you in your tracks. It certainly did, Suzanne. I mean, I put the dishes down, and I thought to myself, what the heck am I thinking? This is crazy. And I filled a glass of water, and I took it to him in the family room, and I kissed the top of his head, and I pushed what I thought was a thought, but it really was a message, right out of my head. I said, this is nuts. I don't know what that was, but, and I never said a word about it to anyone. I've read your book, and I feel that it would be really wonderful for you to share with everybody the kind of relationship you and Saul had. Oh, we had, I mean, to this day, people still talk about us. We both had come from very dysfunctional first marriages. In fact, both of our spouses had mental issues, and we had found each other. And to tell you how bad it was in those days for a man to get total custody of both of his children, teenagers, including a teenage daughter, was almost unheard of. So Saul and I were both raising his two teenage children, and we were raising my son, who was three when we married, and uh, we had and we had both been in a great deal of therapy because of the situations in our first marriages. So we came to each other very in a very emotionally healthy way, and we were still in therapy. So we'd go to group therapy. I would have individual um, sessions because mostly we were trying to do the best we could for his two very wounded children and mm-hmm. to have our marriage be a wonderful role model and for them to thrive in a healthy relationship. And we were succeeding because we were using, you know, because first of all, of all that we had learned from the years that we've been in therapy dealing with our ex-spouses, but now we were dealing with issues that were cropping up in our family, and we were dealing with them in as healthy a way as possible. So much so that I have to say, and I know you read this in the book, Suzanne, but my my stepdaughter, when she got married, and she came to me when she was 14 years old, and she was very insulting, and she was very hurt, and we, and we got her, from the, the psychiatrist sent her to us from Colorado, and there was a restraining order against her mother and all of that, and she was very conflicted and hostile, as you could understand. Sure. When then uh, About 10 or 12 years later, after we got custody of her, she got married, and the night before she got married, She said to me, you know, I've been trying to ruin your marriage to my father since the day I came to live with you, and I'm so glad I didn't succeed because I would have never known what a happy marriage looked like if I hadn't lived with you and Dad. How beautiful is that? And and that was the the main point. That's the point that just shines through, that you two were just so devoted to each other, soulmates beyond doubt, and just passionate and loving and a beautiful beautiful relationship oh it was like just wonderful and people used to even we were we were married 15 years you know we were married 18 years when this whole incident happened but even uh years later people will say like i would greet him and it was a kiss and a hug and great respect and the way we were with each other and people would say you were like a feel-good couple to be around and when, yeah, it was just, I have to tell you, so I mean, when I was reading it, I said, she has a tie. 
and most people know that Ty is my sweet husband. It's just it's just so heartwarming to when people find their soulmate like that. So to hear a voice in your head say Saul has to go. Wow, did you, I mean surely you question where that voice or wh- whose voice that was? Absolutely. Well, I thought it was some kind of weird thought. I had no idea. Remember, I wasn't at all spiritually enlightened. So I thought, this is crazy. And I just put it out of my head. But Uh I I never forgot it. Like, it went out of my head. I didn't talk about it because I thought it was crazy. But, of course, it it impacted me. And it was was sitting there. And we were, were, um, Saul's passion was skiing. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when we were dating, he said to me, you know, you're perfect for me, but you don't ski. I came from Florida, from Miami. (laughs) And I said to him, you know, you're perfect for me, but you have no class. And he laughed and he said, what does that mean? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm from Florida and like, you are like passionate about skiing and football and all these things. And I guess I will put those two sticks of wood or whatever on my feet and take a million lessons and join you on the slopes. But you have to become cultured for me in the spring, summer, and fall. And he was like, what does that mean? And I said, Solly, I played the violin growing up. I've been to ballet. I've been to opera. I like the theater. I'll make you a deal. Fall into winter, it's football and skiing. But spring, summer, and, and, and summer, we go to concerts. We go to um you know, listen to symphony orchestras, to the ballet, to Broadway, and he loved it. I became, oh, I was skiing diamonds, diamond oh. trails. I was no going kidding. to football games, and he was coming with me to oh, every fine. kind of culture that we could find. And I it was, that. that was the kind of marriage we had. Everything was a compromise, and everything was learning from each other and enjoying each other. Well, I think that just that story alone, we've all just learned from you. Both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we really, we really combined our worlds. And then even with the children, you know, he said, I said to him, you know, I feel badly because my husband has, my ex-husband has all these problems and you're going to end up probably bringing up my son. And Saul, and that was three when we married. And Saul said to me, you've got the easy part. I get a little boy who I love with all my heart. And if he wants to call me Mm -hmm. Saul or he wants to call me dad, it doesn't matter. But you have two, you're getting two teenagers who have a lot of issues and problems, whose mother has hurt them a great deal. I've been fighting for custody for them for years, and I finally prevailed, but they're wounded. And he said, we will, as a family, be in counseling, and we will do the best we can, but my kids are probably going to be conflicted and take things out on you, and I will totally support you, and we will work together to get them as emotionally healthy as we can also. Boy, oh, boy. Wow. So in every way, we were a team and we worked together. Beautiful. So you've already told us that there was a car accident. We already see this this tragedy coming. How long after that Saul has to go message was the accident? So two months after, it was October when I got that message. So he was watching a football game on TV and we were getting ready for ski season. And we used to ski in the Catskills. We had a ski house at Hunter Mountain off of the New York State Thruway. 
and we would go up every week, and our kids were top expert skiers. They skied all over the Northeast for ski teams and all that kind of thing. And it was a wonderful, wonderful family activity for all of us. And one day, one weekend, it was the weekend before Christmas, we went up to our ski house, and for some reason, I got it in my head that I had, this was going to be a weekend no matter what Saul wanted, I was going to give it to him. If I he need to stop to you there a second, people. Irene. I had to stop you. I've done. I've been working with the spirit world for over a dozen years now, and I, I now every time I say for some reason, I hold up both hands and make quote marks because it's right. just so clear. Anytime anybody says for some reason, spirits involved. <laughs> There's Absolutely always a right. reason. Right, because I was very convicted. I wasn't even going to argue with him about if he wanted to go out to lunch with people I may not be that fond of, or if he wanted to take a slope I wasn't quite in the mood to go on. I was going to, for some, for quote, close quote, for some reason, whatever he wanted to do, I was going to go along with it. And, in fact, we had such a great weekend that the night before this accident happened, he literally said to me at one point, I'm so lucky and thankful to have you in my life. And we just, and then the night, the next day, we had another absolutely incredible day skiing. And we got in our car, and I said to him, Sully, would you like me to drive? You know, you've been tired. You've been doing a lot with work and all that jazz. He said, no, I'm having a great time. I'm fine. I had a great day. Wasn't this the most wonderful weekend a couple could have together? And now, I have to that, ask you. You said you said that Saul has to go. Many lessons will be learned messages side. But did did it ever come back to haunt you like the sword of Damocles hanging over your head? Did could Were you able to put it, really put it out enough? Out of your mind enough? I really or? put it out of my mind. I really, I, I it was, it, let me put it this way. <laughs> I had gotten the message and it was somewhere in my awareness. And so being a little conscious about that, I think, brought me to thinking, I'm going to give him anything he wants this weekend. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like okay. the, it was kind of like that kind of reaction. Who knows if that was weird thought, whatever that was. But you know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do. Okay. And we had this. Just we had a, another wonderful day. We skied every slope, every one of his favorite slopes. We had a great time. He gets in the car with me. I offer to drive. He says, "Nope, I'll drive." And wasn't this the most wonderful weekend a couple could have together? And I thought to myself, "Oh, I'm really glad." that I made that decision, and I gave him that pleasure. And also, not an accident, before we got on the New York State Thruway, we stopped for a moment. Uh, His daughter also had, my stepdaughter also had a little cottage nearby, and it was Hanukkah. And he said, let's stop. I want to give them a kiss for Hanukkah. And we had little Hmm. gifts for them. We did that. So in a way, he said goodbye to his daughter, but, you know, wow. that, you know, we're all under the, and we got in the car, and we were driving um, on the New York State, Saul was driving, I was in the passenger seat, and we were driving for about an hour and a half on the New York State Thruway, and I suddenly, we were going about 72 miles an hour, we were in the left-hand lane of a two-lane highway, And I suddenly felt the car go into a huge swerve. And I looked over, 
at my husband, and he was sound asleep at the wheel. <laughs> and I called out to him. I went, Saul. And he woke up, and he saw what was happening, and he went to pull the car out of the swerve. And as he did, we rose up like we were, Suzanne, it was like we were in a gigantic helicopter, uh, roller coaster. Like we were, mm. it was like just, we just lifted up and we, for the first, and right at the beginning of the first of four flips, and I was oh. conscious through everything. I pull, I'm, I'm a little bit on the petite side, so I pulled myself together, you know, my legs into my chest and all. And as we took off for the first flip, I got a second message. And in the, the message air. said to me, Huh? Excuse me? In the air. You're in the air. In the air. In yeah. the air. We're taking off and we've lifted up in the air. And the thought comes into my head and it says, He's not going to make it. You are. Huh. And we are actively flipping over and over and over, hitting really hard on the right side each time and bouncing right back up into the air. And finally, at the end of four flips, we landed upside down in a ravine. We slid into the ravine on the side of the throughway. And there's so much more to this story, but I will tell our listeners that the accident was so bad that we held up traffic on the throughway for two and a half hours that day. There were still pieces of my car on the road uh, six months later. Oh my. And yeah, it was horrific. And I was upside down. I was conscious through everything, but I did not know that I was badly wounded yet either. Um, but I was aware, I was alive, and I'd been told I was going to be okay. With that in my mind, I said, Oh my. I got a message that Saul had to go and I was just told he's not going to make it. I am, and I'm upside down in my seatbelt, and I look over at my husband. I go, Sully, are you okay? And I see that he's gone. My husband's adorable. He was like a teddy bear. Everybody wanted to hug him and kiss him and talk to him. He was everyone's best friend. This amazing personality, and he was also very funny. This amazing personality was completely gone, and I was looking at the shell of my husband. That's that. And I, that's that pivotal epiphany moment when you realize that. Because I was there looking at my stepdaughter Susan. I'm so with you, Irene. When you just know that is just a vessel. That's it. And I looked at him, and I got. I saw that he was gone, and I got in the moment. Oh my God! I got two messages. I'm supposed to go on. He's still with me somewhere. I suddenly, like, uh, just got it. And for some reason, I'm still here. There's more for me to do. This was before the grieving and the shock and the everything set in on the earth plane, mm -hmm. I call it. Just in the, in the moment of the accident, I'm thinking all of this. <laughs> and as I'm thinking it, I see a helicopter landing on the side of the road and these EMTs jump out of the helicopter, three guys, they turned my car over, and one of them stuck his hands through the shattered window of my car, undid my seatbelt, turned me around and grabbed me by my shoulders, 
and started pulling me out through the window of my car. And as he did that, a male voice, I tell women, I want to tell you it was a female voice, but for me it was a male voice. Well, I don't know to this day if it was a spirit guide or an ascended master, but a, or my or what you know. But it boomed with a voice into my head, and it said, "Be loving and kind to everyone." As I was being laid on the side of the road. Yeah, it's just I have goosebumps. Anybody else have goosebumps? Yeah, and I love that it, you know it. It doesn't matter whose voice it was. But it's clearly not your own. It's clearly somebody who cares about you and has a profound message for you. Be loving and kind to everyone. I mean, that message changed my life in that moment. I stopped focusing on myself. I knew that my husband was gone. I knew that, in fact, I'll tell you, even though I knew that, and also after I got that message, Suzanne, the the other thing I thought about, was there's some reason I'm supposed to live through this and I am going to make my way through this no matter what I have to do because I have to be a good role model for my son. My husband was buried on my son's 21st birthday. Hmm. And I said one way or the other, I'm going to give him a healthy mother. I I know and teach him that you can get hit by a grenade in life and come through it. I mean, this well, was happening in the moments right after the accident. I mean, I mean, I I barely watch TV, but one of my favorite shows is Grey's Anatomy. If I watch anything, Ask Ty, it's Grey's Anatomy or one other show. I love medical shows, and they're always bringing in the accident victim, and the accident victim is always hysterical. Where's my husband? How's my husband? Or, oh, my husband is dying or that kind of thing. And here you are. Calm as can be. It's stunning. It was stunning, and it was because of the message. And not only that, I because I've been told be loving and kind to everyone, I said to the three EMTs, what's your name? Thank you for coming out the weekend before Christmas. Bless you for helping me. Um, they told me that I was bleeding profusely from uh, an artery in the bottom of my foot, that uh, a torn artery, that they were going to have to give me a tourniquet. Uh, they, you know, I, I didn't know at the time that I had a collarbone reversed inside my shoulder, and I had hemorrhaged, and I had lost an ACL um, ligament from a knee. But I was basically but conscious and, fine. you know, my brain was working just fine. I was having these issues. And Irene, we have to go to break. We have to go to break right now. So everybody, I know you're glued to your chair like I am too. So come back after three minutes and we're going to hear more of this story because there is so much more. Trust me. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, 
Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Yeah, so during the break, I was talking with Irene about what a great storyteller she is, but she has a gripping story to tell. Her book, They Serve Bagels in Heaven, is equally gripping. One couple's story of love, eternity, and the cosmic importance of everyday life. And of course, we have her podcast, Grief and Rebirth. We'll talk about that, but let's get back to you, Irene. You have you are being put on a stretcher and you're not screaming. I'm being loaded into a helicopter. They're putting me on a stretcher. They're loading me into a helicopter. They've tied a tourniquet around my my ankle because I'm bleeding to death from a, or, you know, I needed two blood transfusions. I was bleeding so profusely. I needed 19 stitches in an artery in the bottom of my right foot. But I didn't know any of this quite yet. They load me in the helicopter and they fly me to this emergency trauma center. And I, they bring me in on the stretcher and I have be loving and kind to everyone reverberating in my head. So instead of screaming for myself, I go, thank you so much for helping me. I'm telling the nurses. And the doctor comes over to me and he said, you know, I need to tell you that your husband is gone. And I said to him, Dr. Jordan, I know and I am the luckiest woman in the world that I had him in my life. I didn't start screaming for myself when my stepdaughter was notified that um, her father, there had been an accident. She did not know her father died. She came into the hospital. And remember, I got custody of her when she was 14, and now she's married, and it had to be, uh, you know, maybe 12, 13, 14 years later. And she came into the hospital and kind of looked, glanced over me but was looking for her father. And I said, Sandy, I need to tell you that. Daddy is gone, and she fainted right dead away, and they picked her up, and I said, Sandy, you need to know that I love you, and I will never, ever hurt you, and she said, I know, and she ran out to tell her husband what had happened, and when my son came in, he never left my side. He sat in a room nearby, and I had already programmed in my head I will get through this I'm going to be somehow okay because for him and three months after this whole hospital experience I got a call from the assistant to the surgeon in that hospital and she it was an emergency trauma center Mm -hmm. and Trish said to me I have to tell you something you changed lives in the emergency room that night Mm -hmm. we never saw anyone react to a tragedy like you'd been through with nothing but love and kindness to everyone. You taught a lot of people a lot of lessons while you were in the hospital. And I said, Trish, 
I had a spiritual awakening, and it's changed my life. It's changed the way I think about things. It's changed the way I do everything. She said, well, don't stop. You are really helping people. Now, this I really is the didn't point, know. Irene. This is this is this is why I was so excited to share you and your story with everybody because we have so many people dealing with grief, and I'm not saying don't grieve, but I am saying we come here to make choices and to learn that we always have a choice how to react to things. Grieving is fine. Screaming and crying is fine, but with that, you, this is a divine experience you had, and. Wow, it's it's so yeah, it was just like exactly stunning. I mean, it was amazing. I just I I couldn't believe even the doctor had said to me they wanted to take off any jewelry I had on. And in the middle of the um operation I said to the doctor, Can I please just keep on my wedding band? I knew Saul was with me. My whole perception of everything had changed. Hmm. But I have to tell our listeners that I got home after three days in the hospital with two blood transfusions. I didn't even know yet that my collarbone was reversed inside my shoulder. That came later. Or that I'd lost an ACL in my knee. That came later. And I came home, and I was in grieving hell. I was in grieving despair. And I was dealing with two stepchildren who were grieving and my son who was grieving and all kinds of other people, and everyone was in shock. And Saul was such a beloved figure, I'm going to also tell everyone, that there were about a 1,000 people at his funeral. They had close streets. He was so loved. And, I mean, he was the type of person, he was a real estate developer, and if, 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 if a deal was going to hurt someone, he didn't do it. That's how much integrity he had. Uh, he was like a really special, unusual person that way. And mm -hmm. so now I'm in this hell, and I'm in a wheelchair, um, I have five holes burrowed into the inside of my right leg that I'm, they're all bandaged and everything. It took them two years to heal. I was, I was a mess, but I was conscious and okay in the other, in my head, but I'm grieving and I'm, and I'm really upset and we have to go pick, choose a coffin and we have to go arrange for in the Jewish religion, what they call Shiva and all of that. And I'm going through all of that in about six weeks. But I know something's up. I got the messages. I don't know what it is, but something's up. Hmm. And about six weeks after the accident, we buried him. Now I'm crying and I'm upset and I'm grieving and all of that. I get a call from my dry cleaner, of all people, because I'm so friendly. I talk to everyone. And he <laughs> said, you know, Irene, I want to tell you something. And I said, what is that? He says, I don't share this with a lot of people, but you seem very open-minded to me. And eight years ago, my oldest son died of a drug overdose, and my wife and I were inconsolable. He said we went to grief counselors and social workers and all kinds of people, and no one could help us until we found out that there are special people who are able to communicate with the soul on the other side. He said, oh, and we are going to be seeing someone who's just starting out. And we even did a little video for him because of what a great job he did uh, bringing our son, proof of our son's survival to us. He said, we're going to see him in two weeks. So if you would like, you could come with us. Suzanne, I had <laughs> no idea what he was talking about, but I knew something was up. I knew something was up. 
So the M word uh, is what we call it. The M word, <laughs> which is the medium. M word is mediums. Medium, right. <laughs> medium, and I didn't know what a medium was. I didn't know what I was going to, but I got dressed up like I was going to a date. I had no idea, and I I was just out of my wheelchair, and I went. Um, I took myself five towns away, and I'm saying this on purpose. Five towns away from where I lived, I got out of my car. At, which was Saul's car because my car was totaled. I was now driving Saul's car. And I got out of that car and I got into my dry cleaner's car. And then he drove us about six towns in the other direction to a hotel. And there was a young medium there who I'll tell you who it was. He was before he was unbelievably famous. And he <laughs> looked at me and he said, I don't even want to know your name. Go upstairs. There, is a, there were 35 people gathered in a little gallery in in on the on the second floor and he said hello to my dry cleaner and his wife and I went upstairs I had no idea what to expect and I sat there listening like Saul was waiting for me to hear other messages coming through that were like amazing I'm getting a message from someone whose father shot himself in the head with a pistol oh my god that's my father you know and those I mean oh my goodness and about a halfway through these amazing messages all of a sudden and it was John Edward before he was famous yeah John Edward said I'm getting Someone's talking to me about Dr. Pepper. Does anyone have any clue about Dr. Pepper? And I nudged my dry cleaner in the days before voice recorders, and I said, Joel, start writing, because 15 years before he met me, my husband's brother, who was a big advertising executive uh, on Madison Avenue, had put my husband's name in a commercial for Dr. Pepper Soda. And Saul used to laugh about it all the time because you'd hear on the radio, Dr. Pepper is coming east from California. Let's talk to the man in the street, Saul Weinberg, about what he thinks about Dr. Pepper. I mean, not John Doe, Joe Smith. It it was hilarious. His brother had inserted his name into this ad. And 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 you know, almost everybody will have had a drink of Dr. Pepper, but that's the thing about evidence in a reading. When it's so specific to a memory that is like that one. You that's no wonder you had your friends start right your dry cleaner start writing notes. Oh my notes. god, I was like I was like, "Oh my god." But not only that, Saul came through Suzanne for 35 minutes. Oh extremely no. Extremely articulate. So articulate. I mean, he's telling me he wore a lot of hats. Yes, he was going bald. He wore baseball caps. He's telling me he liked to tell jokes with accents. He was no famous for his sense of humor and all of that. He's telling me you're wearing his skier charm under your blouse. That one. How the heck Saul's. could he know that? He's telling me you're driving his favorite car with Saul Z on the license plate. My husband was a real estate developer in a town called Hoboken in New Jersey, and he would sell condos to yuppies, and they loved him so much, they used to call him Uncle Saul Z. So he had Saul Z on his license plate. That car was parked six towns away. How could he know that? And this is where the skeptics would say, well, maybe they knew you were coming that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, he, he know that I had a skier charm under my blouse. That's or it. I See? I wore all these hats. Yep. 
yep, yep. The skiing charm under the bus. I mean, it's just saucy. When I when you told me that one, I was like, man, that guy's good. <laughs> it's just beautiful. <laughs> hey, I mean, I still have the license plate. I show it to people. Saul Z. How could he know that? So because now Saul I know. was right there. <laughs> he was right there, and now Saul's going on and on and on. Oh, he's telling me you died. He died in a different state than where you live. He died in New York. We lived in New Jersey. Um, he's telling me you were on a ski weekend. I mean, unbelievable. Oh. Over and over and over. Now, 35 minutes go by, and at the end of the 35 minutes, Sean Edwards says, how long is this guy on the other side? And I said, two months? He said, this is an old soul. This guy is so articulate. This guy's been around the block a few times. Well, I had no idea. And now comes the rest of the story. (laughs) Because after that, I started opening up. To, oh, first of all, I called my sister-in-law, who I thought was crazy, and she told me that two weeks after he died, she had gotten a message from him, and mm. uh, and all of that. Now I'm opening up to this world, and I start going to other mediums. I don't tell anyone in my world I'm doing this because, of course, they would think I'm crazy. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm starting to open up, and I'm going to all these spiritual things and all. And every time I meet with a medium, I'm getting an additional story uh, message. And the message is, you two are soulmates, and you set up that if certain things didn't work out for Saul in this lifetime, you were going to work together across the veil to help a lot of people. I was like, what? And they started telling me I was supposed to write a book. And I just knew, you know, I would do anything for him, but my background wasn't a book. You know, that way, I played the violin growing up. I was a buyer for Macy's. I helped him in his real estate business. I raised children. What book? But it was him. And I would do anything for him. So I was, like, starting the exploration of – I started working with a woman who did automatic writing, which is, you know, she would get these messages and write them down. And I was asking questions, and I couldn't get – all of my questions answered, and then someone referred me to a woman who actually was able to channel him directly and speak it and type it from the other side. And yeah, I started, when I first I went, to, started reading your book, uh, They Serve Bagels in Heaven, I thought, where is this coming from? Because this is channel material, and you, you tell it later in the book that it's channel, but it starts out with Saul talking to us and you from across the veil. And I love how you – how you shared that that medium wove the evidence right into the channeling when he called you by a nickname. Right. Because his nickname for me was cuz. And the first thing that he said to me when I went to her healing cabin to, to, to have a session with her because someone had recommended her was she said, he's calling you cuz. Well, there was no way that anyone could know that that had been his nickname for me. And then she also said, and he's telling me I'm supposed to help you write a book and you're going to help a lot of people. And I was, like, blown away, and I, and I started working with her. But I still had healthy skepticism until one day something amazing happened. Uh, she, was, she was channeling. She had asked Saul, and he would come right through her, and she'd be typing away. She asked Saul what? Tell us about some of your past lives with Irene. And the first past life, she said to me, you know, he's telling me 
that he met you when you were a little boy in Israel, and he was your rabbi, and you were this a this sweet little boy who was in his class in what they would call in ancient Israel a yeshiva. And she said, I keep asking him what your name was, and I'm getting a really weird name, and I don't understand it. Well, she was Methodist, and she had never heard a word of Hebrew in her life. (laughs) And she said, I said, well, tell me what the name is. And she said, I'm hearing Yelid Tov. I was like, oh, my God, Yelid Tov is Hebrew for a good little boy. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So that was obviously how he referred to me in that lifetime. Yeah. And then she channeled. Irene, we, we're going to run out of time too quickly. And if you don't mind, could we just jump ahead to the the primary takeaways or the messages that that you and Saul both share, him from across the sure. veil, you hear from your book and from all of your work these days? Because that's right. really what it's all about. about. the podcast and how that happened from that, too. Everyone, you can definitely read the book and you can find out if they serve coffee and locks with those bagels. but we we talked about through the stories that were channeled of course that our souls go on he describes what it was like for him to cross over he described what heaven was like that heaven is home and what he was greeted by when he got to heaven he talked about um soulmates and that soulmates are more than just um romantic soulmates and what they mean in our lives he talked about what we uh, that we each come here with a sole purpose. What was fascinating is I've been killed in other lives and all kinds of things have happened, and uh, we went through a lot. How heaven handles evil, it's really fascinating to read this in the book. And uh, he even channeled a lifetime 300 years from now, which is amazing. And if you read it, you will see the seeds of it happening now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, we'll be back for sure in three, at least 300 years, and this is what the world will be like at that time. And, you, and you, I mean, it's so amazing because I'm seeing the seeds of it in, our, in what we're experiencing now. Well, that's no surprise. And then, you know, and then one day, and, then all, and the book has helped a lot of people, and, um, you know, uh, I've done presentations with it and all. And then, honestly, one day I'm sitting here at my desk, and the word podcast comes into my head. I thought the book was all I was supposed to be doing, and I was helping a lot of people. And all of a sudden, I'm a baby boomer. And I said to my assistant, my publicist, I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> and she said, and she said, oh, I can help you with that. And um, I thought, well, this must be a message because now I believe in them because I don't get messages like that, just those three. So now here's mm-hmm. a fourth. And I said, well, who would I interview? And what got me through my tremendous pain from the grief was I worked with a life transition coach, I worked with an energy healer, and I worked with mediums. I said, I'm going to interview grief and trauma specialists, mediums, healers, and people who have amazing stories of rebirth to share to help people understand that they can get through these dark tunnels of pain and come out on the other side, and they can choose to do that. And here are here is a healing community. Go listen. Go choose who you can 
It's not a Yelp review. Go listen to what these people have to say <laughs> and go choose who can help you. Beautiful. And it's, you're just doing a wonderful service for all of us. But tell us now, how have you personally sensed Saul around and how often? Oh, well, I'll tell you all a really funny story because um, <laughs> <laughs> he's funny. So he's he's a wise guy. So uh, about three or four years after he died, I started dating a fellow from England. I had met him on a cruise, and uh, he um, we were dating, and the guy came to visit me from England. Saul was such a funny character. He had a beautiful red beard, and he used to put this certain cologne on his neck. And when women would hug him and say hi to him or whatever, they'd always say, oh, my God, Saul, you have the most wonderful smelling neck. And the name of this particular cologne that was not a well-known cologne was called Joop, J-O-O-P, with an exclamation Mm -hmm. mark. So this guy comes from England, walks into my home, he, and he called me Reenie at the time. He said, you know, Reenie, I don't know what took, oh, took me over, but I was sitting at the duty-free shop, and I felt drawn to this special cologne, and I bought it to wear just for you, and the name of it is Jupe. And I said to myself, Saul, you're such a wise guy. <laughs> yes, I'll say. Wow, drop that thought right in his mind. <laughs> I'll show her I'm still around. That's right, great. exactly. And then another thing that happened was I was talking, to, I mean, I have a whole list of things, but I was talking to a medium once, and she said, your husband's coming, and she was doing a reading. Now, uh, I was talking to her, and then I, I left the room, and a man came through. I had recommended him to talk to her, who was a contractor doing some work in my home. Mm-hmm. And she Saul came through her, and said to this contractor, he said it to me, he says, she, she said, I don't know why Saul is coming through to talk to you. He said, I don't know why either. I never knew him in his life. I started working with his wife after he passed. And she will let me see what he wants to tell you. And the message was, I know you're helping Irene. I see you're helping Irene. And I want you to know how grateful I am that you're there to, to be there to aid her in her life. Nice, nice. I mean, what more proof of survival do you need? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They know what's going on. Our loved ones who have passed, they're part of our lives still. They see these things. They see who are in our lives, and it's beautiful. With just five minutes to go, Irene, on the break, we were talking that that you're dealing with something that so many of us do deal with as we grow older, your mother's impending transition. And yeah. I asked you, you know, is she open to what you know now? I'd love if you'd share that with everybody. Okay, sure. Well, after all of this happened to me, one of the few people that I talked to about it was my mother, and she wasn't particularly enlightened about it, but because it was coming from me, and she know, you know, she was open-minded to what I was saying, and then in time, I had a few uh, galleries uh, at her home, at her condo. What you mean Florida, is you brought she, mediums to her condo I and she got to listen to my mother's gallery condo, readings. And she's, and she saw people getting readings and all, and she opened up and she had a few messages from my father and different people. And then what happened was we would talk about it, and I'd say, you know, Mom, when the time comes for you, I'm going to have you so busy with mediums contacting you that you're going to need a special switchboard in the sky. 
<laughs> and she would laugh and she'd say, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Well, now she's she's dying. And I said to her, Mommy, listen to me, Mom, I love you so much. I'm going to miss you on the physical, but you are not, only your body is getting tired and worn down. You're going to leave this earth suit and you're going to the other side. And all the, the important parts of all of you, I will be communicating with you. And to tell you how this changes the experience that I'm going through with her, mm-hmm. she said, Irene, just give me two months to acclimate to my new environment and then have them contact me. That is so beautiful. We all know how challenging it is for people to talk about death, and yet the one who's passing is usually a bit frightened if they don't know what we know. And to be able to have that open discussion is just precious. Yeah, and it takes. she's not afraid of dying. She's um, upset that she's so sick. And um, I said to her, you know, uh, I want to take uh, free you. I mean, there have been a couple of issues that have bothered her, and we we're working them through and all of that. And, I, and she's getting very close now to being able to go in peace. It's up to the, her body Beautiful. right now, but yeah. um, you know, we're in the process of getting hospice for her and all of that. Well, and we wish I was her just the best. Of visiting her. Excuse me. We wish her the best, absolutely, Thank and you. you too. To just continued strength with that. Uh, unfortunately, Thank we only you. have one minute left, but I, the main thing you told us that I think is so important is it took a, a feeling within you that something was coming, that, that your, your husband Saul's passing was coming. But that beautiful last weekend you had, you know, what if we could all remember to live every moment like that? I totally mm-hmm. agree, Suzanne, because this has made me so conscious of my relationships with people. I am so aware um of all of that. I'm careful and I'm aware and I'm not perfect, but wow, is it changed yeah. now for me. Be loving and kind to everyone. Such a simple Perfect. message, yet how it changed everything for you. Irene, it's been just beautiful having you here on the show. Any last thoughts, 30 seconds to go yeah, for everybody? Yeah, I would like to tell everyone also, be loving and kind to everyone also includes you. And one of the things that I've learned is to be loving and kind to myself also. Because uh, you're part of that, too, and you cannot be loving and kind to people if you're not good to yourself, too. You are as precious as any one of them. Ooh, did you all just feel that big heart opening? Sending it back to you, Irene. Thank you so much for inspiring us today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, 
all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.